0: Our approach to calling is new wineskin, limitless, infinite, endless, never ending, everlasting. The burden, to reach the 2.8 billion people with no access to the gospel in Asia, Africa, Europe, the Americas, the Middle East. The terrain, dangerous, uncomfortable, exhausting. Our legacy, 170 years of lawyers, doctors, teachers, watchmakers, baristas, martyrs, church planners, prayer warriors, cave dwellers. Our vision, to leave and leverage. Let the dead bury the dead. Leverage your skills to be a doctor, crossfitter, photographer, chef, storyteller, evangelist, teacher, engineer, entrepreneur, student, retired nurse, seminarian. The reward, immeasurable, bottomless, unceasing, the souls of men and women and children experiencing the peace of God and reconciling power of Jesus Christ. The possibilities with us all together, without end, constraint, or boundaries. Limitless.
1: Indeed, when we work together, the possibilities of what we can do for the sake of Christ and sharing his gospel around the world are limitless. And First Baptist Church, you're a wonderful example of that. Uh, I am so grateful for you. Thankful for the commitment that you have made as a church—not just to reach Southwest Florida with the gospel, but to take the gospel from Naples to the nations. Uh, as uh, I love that slogan, your pastor, your new pastor, used uh, in the video, and and uh, we were commenting down the front row. I bet you'll hear that again. Uh, and I'm so excited not only about. Uh, what is about to happen at First Baptist, but what has already been happening as you cooperate uh, with uh, the IMB and other churches across uh, the Southern Baptist Convention? The impact that you're making is tremendous. And listen, this is an incredibly generous church when it comes to supporting missionaries, sending missionaries, and we thank God for you. If you picked up a copy of uh, the program as you came in, uh, you'll see on the front uh, there are uh, some statistics that we're incredibly excited about as we measure the impact of your missionaries who serve through the IMB and uh, all that God is doing through them around the world. So take a moment and look that over. I hope and pray that uh, you will find that a cause for rejoicing. I trust that you will. And again, so thankful for the giving through the cooperative program, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, for praying for your missionaries, for sending out uh, your own members to be missionaries through the IMB. And for those whom God might be calling uh, who have yet to go, we look forward to seeing how the future will unfold among the nations as we continue to work together. It's great to be back with you. Uh, I was here uh, just over two years ago, and in fact, uh, I've been in my role at the International Mission Board for closing in on three years now. I think this is the first church that I've preached at uh, now a second time uh, since I've been IMB president, uh, I'm uh, doing that because I love First Baptist Church, uh, but also because I love your new pastor uh, and also because he's my boss. As he mentioned, he's one of the trustees on the International Mission Board that trustees hire and fire the president of the IMB, and that would be me. Uh, so I want to stay in good relationship with him. and he called and said, hey, uh, I- I've got just a couple weeks before I'm transitioning. Do you have any Sundays open? I said, uh, Pastor, I don't have any Sundays open until 2024. uh, But I did have a holiday weekend. (laughs) And uh, so because he, again, is my boss, I was glad uh, to use the holiday weekend to be here with you here at First Baptist Church. But so glad that you're here uh, prioritizing worshiping the Lord, even on a holiday weekend. Uh, And uh, the reason that we are here uh, is indeed to honor him, Uh, to acknowledge him, to give him the praise that he is worthy of receiving. uh, And it's is—it's just good to be here. Uh, I'm thinking more and more these days with all that's going on in the world, however, uh, about not being here but, but being in heaven. I'm wondering why God didn't just save me and take me to heaven. Uh, I I don't know if you ever think that way as you look at all of the things that are unfolding in the world and maybe in in your own life. Uh, And in fact, that's the question that I sort of want to deal with tonight. When we think about uh, heaven as the Bible paints a picture of what heaven will be like compared to much of what earth is like, uh, it, it does make us wonder, God, why don't you just save us and take us? to heaven. I mean, there's, uh, there's no COVID in heaven, right? No pandemics in heaven, no Delta variants that you have to worry about in heaven. Uh, there's no presidential elections in heaven. Thank you, Lord. Uh, uh, there's, uh, there's no cancer in heaven. Uh, there's no addiction in heaven. There's no divorce in heaven. There's no death in heaven. Heaven? Well, it's heaven. Why hasn't God just saved us and take us to heaven? Why has he left us here? That's the question that I want to I answer this evening as we look to God's word, but I don't want to hold you in suspense. You don't have to wait till the end of the sermon for the answer to this question. Let me go ahead as we prepare to look at God's word together tonight and share what that answer is. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, if you've given your life to him, you've been born again, adopted into his family, and know that heaven is your eternal home. God has left you here because heaven is not yet what heaven will be. And he has a job for you to do in making heaven what heaven will be. We get to be a part of making heaven what heaven will someday be. We find a picture of what heaven will someday be like in Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. If you're familiar with the book of Revelation, then you, uh, you, you will likely recall that much of what we find recorded in the book of Revelation uh, is a, a vision or a series of visions that God gives to his servant whose name was John. John had been faithfully preaching the gospel, and he was in prison for it. And during the course of his time in prison, God gave John a series of visions. Some of the visions that John saw, God was revealing to John, helping John understand uh, the events that were unfolding in his world, in his day. Some of the things that John saw, I believe we're seeing in our day come to pass. But some of the things that John saw and these visions that God gave him have yet to come to pass. And Revelation chapter 7, this part of the vision falls into that category. It's, it's a vision of heaven, but not as it was in John's day, not as it is in our day, but as it will someday be. John describes what he's seeing in the vision. Revelation 7 beginning in verse 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation From all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a sight to behold. To be able to see heaven to be able to see what's taking place in heaven. And John describes what he sees. And as he does so, helps you understand and me understand what our job is here on earth and why God has saved us but left us here, at least for now. So to better understand what this job that God has given his church to do, God has given every follower of Christ to do here on earth, let's ask some questions of the vision. The first question that we want to ask is is who? As John has the opportunity to peer into heaven, who does he see? He describes it like this. Behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, and peoples and languages. When we pause from the busyness of life to think much about heaven, there are usually questions that come to mind. I, it's the case for me. Uh, I, I wonder what it will feel like to be in heaven. I wonder what we'll be doing in heaven. Uh, I wonder who will be with us in heaven. Well, the scriptures answer those questions. And in fact, John answers some of those questions as he describes the vision that he sees of heaven. And and he certainly answers the who. And one of the things that John makes clear uh, concerning who is in heaven is that heaven is inclusive. Now, heaven's not inclusive in the sense that everyone's included. That's just not the case. Uh, The Bible makes it clear that None of us deserve to go to heaven. We've all sinned and fallen short. There's no sin in heaven, and so how could we be in heaven? And yet the scriptures also reveal that Jesus, out of his great love for us, died to pay the price of our sin. And the Bible says that that if you believe that, that Jesus died for your sin, and, and, and you trust in his death on the cross, we call that faith, and if you, if you turn from your sin and turn to Jesus as your Savior, we call that repentance. And confess him as the Lord, the ruler, the master of your life. The Bible says you will be forgiven of your sin. It will be wiped away. You will be adopted into the Father's family. And you have a home forever in heaven. We, we call that being saved save from hell, save from the consequences of our sin, saved from death, and save for heaven. But we know that there are many people who have heard that message, the message of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sin and that, that he has been raised from the dead and that anyone who, who repents of their sin and trusts in him uh, we'll be saved, we'll be forgiven, will be in heaven. We know many have heard that good news, but they've not believed it. They've rejected it. They won't be in heaven. But we also know that many, many thousands, many millions, many billions of people have never even heard that message. In fact, of the more than 11,000 people groups that inhabit the earth, about 3,000 people groups comprised of millions, even billions of people uh, are unreached with the gospel. But they're not just unreached. Many of them uh, are are unengaged. That is to say, there's, there's nobody They're yet to reach them. There's no church uh, where they can gather uh, and hear the gospel preached. There's no missionary uh, who's there sharing the good news. they, They don't even have the opportunity, if they wanted to hear the gospel, to hear the gospel. And that's where the IMB comes in. That's where your missionaries that you support and pray for come in. That's where, well, that's where all of us come in. Because as John describes heaven, he he paints an inclusive picture, not in the sense that everyone is included, but someone will be included. From every nation, John says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. And all the tribes and peoples and languages of the world. Someone was there from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages. Until someone is there, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages, we still have work to do here. The vision of heaven is not yet completed. It's not yet come to pass. There are still so many who have yet to hear. Nations, peoples, tribes, languages who remain unreached with the gospel and unengaged. And until the who are there, the church must be here and the church must be on mission here. The church must be doing what God left us here to do in taking the good news to the very ends of the earth. It's why you're here. Well, let's ask another question of the vision. Let's ask where. We're talking about heaven, right? But it's interesting as John describes what he sees in the vision, this great multitude, he's very specific about where in heaven they have gathered. John says this After this, I looked and behold, who? A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. There they are in heaven. But not just in heaven. There they stand in the very presence of God. There they stand before the Savior who who loved them and who died for them and who has been raised, the one who is Lord there they stand seeing as they've been seen and knowing as they've been known John's vision reminds us that there's a kingdom not of this world the bible refers to it as a as a house not made with hands Jesus in speaking to his disciples just before he was betrayed the next day crucified He gathered with them in the upper room and was sharing time with them in the city of Jerusalem, having the Passover meal. And the disciples are wondering, what are we doing here? They want to kill you. (laughs) Why have we come here? And everything seemed to be spinning out of control and it was confusing and, and, and they were probably frightened. And do you remember what Jesus said to them? He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, John 14. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and bring you to myself that where I am, you may also be. Jesus, knowing how troubled his disciples were, reminded them of their eternal home, reminded them of a house, the Father's house. I'm looking forward to being in the Father's house, aren't you? By by the way, I'm reminded, I wanted to thank you tonight for a house that you helped build. Uh, It well, I, I, I don't know. Are, are, are things in Florida the same way they are in Virginia? The real estate market is just insane uh, where we're living in Virginia. I mean, just crazy. Well, th- this house that you as a church helped build, I mean, it, it, in, the, in the old real estate agent slogan, location, 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 you kind of failed in that regard. I just, just have to shoot you straight on this. Uh, you, you didn't build it in a hot market maybe not the most desirable location even, you, you, you built the house in a refugee settlement. My wife Michelle and I had the opportunity to see the house that, uh, that you built in a refugee settlement when we traveled just before COVID hit uh, to visit with some of your missionaries who are serving in Uganda. Uganda has homed over a million refugees who have come from surrounding countries, primarily Sudan, South Sudan, and the Congo, but other places as well. And, and, and you have missionaries who you support through the IMB who are there ministering to those refugees. And while visiting with some of those uh, missionaries uh, and, and seeing their work in, in refugee camps and refugee uh, uh, centers, we... We saw a house that you helped build. It, it, was, it was interesting house. It wasn't like my house, probably not like your house. It was a it was a rather small house. In fact, it, it was it was about the size of the front of the stage here. In fact, that was almost exactly the dimensions of, of the house. The house only has two rooms. There's a, a a division right in the middle of the house. It has a dirt floor. Uh, it has it's built of bricks. It has a tin roof. Uh, there's no electricity in the house because remember you chose to build it in a refugee settlement there's no power grid there there's no electric lines uh, there, there's no plumbing in the house there's no water lines there's no bathroom there's no shower there's no faucet because again you you built the house in a refugee settlement and there's uh, there's no water lines there and, uh, no sanitation lines it's just it's what it is but really what struck me was who lives in the house that you built there's a 16-year-old boy lives in this house and his four younger siblings. And what struck me also was who doesn't live in the house. There's no father in the house and there's no mother in the house. It's what we call it a child-headed household. It's really a miracle that those kids are in the house. It's, it's a miracle. They're alive. They're not from Uganda. They're from South Sudan, a country ravaged by war and genocide. Now for generations, millions have died, including their parents. Somehow, I have no idea how, somehow the 16-year-old boy managed to get himself and his four younger siblings out of South Sudan on foot with Nothing. Into Uganda, and they wandered into this refugee settlement. It was there that a couple of your missionaries uh, uh, discovered them and uh, found that they were homeless and needed everything, and so uh, they immediately got to work with the funds that you helped provide and they built them this house. They got their basic needs met. And then they told these five orphans about a father who loves them and who wants to adopt them. And he is a king. And for all eternity, he has promised to meet their every need. Thank you, church, for loving orphans and refugees you've never met on the other side of the world. Thank you for being a part of seeing the who there in heaven. And until there is someone from every nation and tongue and tribe and people of the world... We've still got work to do, right here. Until the who are there? Well, let's ask another question. Let's ask the question: How? How is it you get there? I've I've been referencing it, but but but, but let's get specific. And it's interesting as as we do so. I want to I want to call your attention to some very symbolic language that John uses as he as he describes what he's seeing in heaven. After this, I looked, and behold, who? A great multitude that no one could number. It was inclusive. They were from every nation and all the tribes and peoples and languages. Where? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb in heaven. And now notice this next phrase. Clothed in white robes. Clothed in white robes. It's very symbolic language. Now, do I believe it's literal? Do I believe that we'll literally be clothed in white robes in heaven? Yes, I think we will. But it's also very symbolic. Let me explain what I mean. The Bible says of human beings that uh, we're stained. Scriptures say that we're born dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible says that, that uh, all have sinned. All of us have done things that are wrong. That you... Me, all means all, that's, that's all of us. The Bible says that, that to sin is to be a slave to sin, uh, that the wages or the reward of our sin is death, eternal separation from God. So again, how is it that, that people who have sinned against God can be in heaven with God where there is no sin how is it that people so stained with guilt? The wrong that we've done can, can, be, uh, can be clothed in white robes. The, the white robes, they're symbolic. I don't wear white very often. It's because I'm not the neatest guy. And, and, and I end up spilling something uh, almost every time. I have on a white shirt. I'm probably spilling stuff when I have on dark shirts. It just doesn't show up the way it does when, when you have a white shirt on. I also, I'm, I'm kind of bad, uh, like if my wife isn't watching and, and there's a shirt laying in the floor or across the chair to you know pick it up, give it a sniff test, and eh, yeah, I can get another wear out of that. But, but, but white's not good for that. Bring around the collar. I mean, white shows the dirt, right? white robes. This represents the fact that we've been cleansed of our sin. How how, how does that happen? What can wash away our sin? There's an old hymn about that. You remember it? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's another old hymn that comes to mind. We sing about A fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty what? Stains. Jesus died to take the stain of sin away. Aren't you thankful for the gospel? It's in his death that we're delivered, that we're set free, that, that we're, we're made whole, that we're made pure, that, that we have the privilege of wearing white robes and being in his presence in heaven. The how, uh, how do we get there? It's through him. It's the how of salvation. It's the how of the gospel. But, but let me share with you tonight about two individuals who I believe will be in heaven who have never even heard the gospel. You say, now, wait a minute, That's, you're contradicting yourself. Well, bear with me just a moment. In Nashville, Tennessee, uh, there's a ministry that you may or may not know about, but, but again, because of the generosity of First Baptist Church, I mean, this is the kind of you, you, you're one of those churches that makes these kind of things possible. We have in Nashville, Tennessee, a theological training school uh, for the deaf, and it focuses in on training deaf missionaries and missionaries to the deaf. Did you know you don't have to be a deaf? You don't have to be deaf to be a missionary to the deaf. Just as you would learn the language and culture of another people group in the world, if you were wanted, if God calling you to go uh, somewhere overseas and, and share the gospel with, with an unreached or an unengaged people group, the same is true of, of the deaf. Even if you're hearing, you can learn their language, you can learn their culture, how to communicate with them. But we also have uh, among the dozens of missionaries who are part of the IMB family, your missionaries who are sharing the gospel with the deaf around the world. There are millions of deaf peoples around the world. Hardly anyone is trying to do anything, particularly overseas, to reach them, but that's not true of of, of us. We're part of a work that takes the gospel, the good news, to the deaf. Well, not too long ago, there was an individual who showed up for training at this theological training school for the deaf. Uh, he was not from the United States. He was from Indonesia. Uh, he came to get trained because uh, he was in the U.S. for a while but was going back to his home in Indonesia and knew several deaf people in Indonesia and he wanted to be able to share with them. So he completed the training but we're in a pandemic and he could not travel back to Indonesia. But he he, he wanted to put into practice what he had learned and so uh, here's what he did. He invited uh, some of his deaf friends in Indonesia to join him on on a, a Zoom meeting, a Zoom call. How many have been on Zoom uh, since the pandemic set uh, in? I I was joking the other day. I'm going to get a big Z tattooed across my chest. I've spent so much time on Zoom. I mean, I, I, I'm Zoom tired. I'm zoomed out. You know all the all the cliches. But it, it, this individual inviting a group of deaf friends in Indonesia to join him on a Zoom meeting, spent an hour sharing with them his testimony and the gospel in sign language. And at the end of that hour, two of those whom he was meeting with communicated to him that they believed what he had shared with them and that they were ready at that moment to give their lives to Christ, to pray in repentance and faith, trusting in Him as as their Savior. We've connected them to the local church there in the area. Uh, They're being discipled and baptized. And that's how two individuals who have never heard the gospel because they've never heard anything. They're deaf. But they'll be in heaven because they've come to understand the gospel because you love those who are lost among the nations enough that you even send missionaries to the deaf. Thank you. But we need more. And there are opportunities to go and share, not just with the deaf, but with those more than 3,000 unreached and unengaged people groups. There are opportunities all over the world. And you can go for a semester as a student. You can go for a year as a student, take, 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 take a break from school. You can go for two years as a journeyman and serve through the IMB. Fully funded because of Church is generosity. It provides you way. You can go as a career missionary. You can go as a retiree and use, use this phase of your life to share the gospel with lost people around the world. You can use your skill as a doctor or as a nurse or as an accountant or a preacher. There's jobs all over the world waiting to be filled. And if God is speaking to you I would urge you, I would implore you, do not ignore why you are here. Do not miss why you're here. Until the who are there, we still have work to do. Share with them how they can be there. Which brings me to the last question. So what? So what? Now it's not the so what that my teenage daughter asks, because that's not even a question. <laughs> Any of your parents heard that one? So what? <laughs> More of a statement. No, 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 it's not that kind of so what? It's this kind of so what? So what does this have to do with me? What what you you've you've allowed me, Lord, through your word, to see heaven as it will someday be? Now what do you want from me? What are you asking of me? John says, I looked, and and there was this great multitude, no one could number, from every nation, all tribes and peoples and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. They have palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What are they doing? They're worshiping the one who is worthy, the one who came and suffered and died. The worshipping the one who deserves to hear his praises, saying in every language he's placed upon the tongues of men and women. The worshiping the one who is worthy of your praise, the one who is worthy of your living for him, if called upon the one who is worthy of your dying for him, because he's worthy of everything. He loved you enough to die for you, and he is Lord. What does this vision have to do with you? Let me share with you, if I could, in a personal way, what I think it means. On a weekday evening, some years ago, a couple of members of the Baptist church met in a church parking lot. It was a church like this, but not like this. It was like this in that it was a Baptist church and it was a church that had ministries and activities uh, trying to reach the community. It was not like this in the fact that the entire church and the parking lot could have fit in this room. (laughs) It was a small church in a small little town in the mountains on the Tennessee, Kentucky state line. These two laymen, met in the parking lot because it was church visitation night. And then they did what they'd come to do. They set out from the church on foot, walking through the neighborhoods of the little town, knocking on doors, inviting people to church. And at some point in their journey, they walked up a steep hill. And at the next to last house, on the road, before it just gets so steep going up the mountain that you can't build houses anymore. They stepped up on the porch and knocked on the door. It was a little rental house at 210 Providence Street. When they knocked on the door, there was a a young man who came to the door in his late 20s. I don't know if they knew him, knew about his circumstances. It was a small town, maybe they did. But he was recently divorced. He was raising three little boys on his own. At the time, they were ages three, four, and six. I don't know if they knew any of that. What they did know was that People in their town needed to hear the gospel and needed an invitation to church. What they couldn't have known was that the four-year-old somewhere in the house would someday be the president of their national mission board. But what they did know was that broken families need the Lord and broken people need the Lord. And so they invited my father to church. That Sunday he managed to get three little rowdy boys ready and he took us. (laughs) And he took us the Sunday after that and it became the pattern of our life. And what we found there was probably what people would find when they come here. A church family that loved them and welcomed them and shared Christ with them. The church ended up sort of raising us and helping our family to heal. A few years after that, there was another knock on our door one evening there in the little rental house at 210 Providence Street, and this time it was our pastor. Brother Allen had come at my father's invitation because my older brother had been asking questions about the gospel and what it would mean for him to give his life to the Lord. and. And Brother Allen sat in the green chair in the corner of our living room and he shared with my older brother what it would mean for him to put his trust in Jesus as his Savior and to confess his sins and confess Jesus as his Lord. My younger brother and I, we were sitting on the floor and we were listening as my pastor was speaking. And Pastor Allen, not your Pastor Allen, (laughs) Pastor Allen Herod, He got three for one that night as the three of us put our trust in Jesus and were saved, baptized together a few weeks later at the little First Baptist Church in our town. How thankful I am for a couple of men in the church who are out inviting people to come. How thankful I am for a pastor that had his own family and lots to do I'm sure in the church but gave up an evening to come and sit in my living room and share the gospel with me and my brothers I'm thankful I am for a church that loved its neighbors and knew they needed to know the Lord and I'm thankful for that kind of church here because you don't have to go far beyond the parking lots out here to find Thousands of people who, if they died today, would spend eternity in hell. Some because they've never heard the gospel, some because they've simply not understood the gospel, some because they've not yet trusted in Christ, even though they've heard a time or two. And it's for them that you're here. And it's for the billions around the world that you're here. Don't miss why you're here.